Hello and welcome to SAE Tomorrow Today. I'm your host, Grayson Brulte. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to have Taylor Alberstadt, Global Sales and Marketing Leader, Unmanned Aerial Systems, Urban Air Mobility, Honeywell Aerospace, and Kenji Morikawa, Director of Electrified Systems Engineering, Denso. On today's episode, we discussed Honeywell and Denso's Urban Air Alliance and the future of aviation. We hope you enjoy this episode. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate being here. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you here because what Honeywell and Denso is doing, in my opinion, is special. Honeywell and Denso formed an urban air alliance. Why? Taylor, let's start with you, sir. Yeah, that's a great question. And um, really, it boils down to both of us having a similar vision at a very high level of wanting to make a positive impact. Uh, and change the world for the better. So at the strategic level, it's pretty simple. We wanted to do good things for people in our planet. But more tactically, we recognized within Honeywell that the advanced air mobility market is going to be more of a hybrid of the aero and automotive space. You know, we are steeped in our aerospace technologies, but we recognize that there are elements of this new market that are going to have both pieces of aerospace and automotive. And we actually evaluated several years ago over two dozen possible partners, and Denso was our top choice. And and it really worked out to be a perfect match because we're mirrors of each other. And uh, to folks that don't know both Honeywell and Denso, when we're doing introductory conversations, There typically is a customer that may be really familiar with one of us, but not the other. And it's easiest to describe to someone who doesn't know Honeywell as the Denso in the aerospace market. And it's easy to describe Denso as the Honeywell in the automotive market. We both do, you know, nose to tail or bumper to bumper technology solutions. We're very forward thinking. We have a focus on sustainability and really wanting to make that positive impact and both of us having a vision that we recognized is truly aligned, brought us together. And that was really the genesis of the alliance. I like that both Denso and Honeywell are market leaders. Both companies are known for the quality products that you manufacture. Denso has a rich heritage in automotive. And as you mentioned, Honeywell has an extremely rich heritage as well in aerospace. Morikawa-san, building upon that, what are your thoughts on the alliance, please? Yeah, I completely agree with, as Taylor said, and uh, this market, I strongly believe this is uh, between the aerospace and the automotive. We decided to enter this aerospace world, but we can contribute to the kind of volume production uh, with maintain the quality. That is a kind of Denso's expertise. But uh, my still missing part is a kind of a very certification and the aerospace world uh, customer relations. And we had to investigate who is the most good partner in the aerospace guys. So we had to investigate a lot. And uh, finally, is a Honeywell's philosophy, like to quality, maintain the quality and experience more than 100 years in the aerospace. That can match to the, our uh, thought. Uh, that's why we decided to collaborate with Honeywell for the long-term strategic uh, partner. As we look to scale urban mobility across the globe, the one thing that's going to be the common denominator is trust. One of the best ways to build trust is engineering and developing quality products. And you both have that rich heritage of developing quality products. 
Taylor, how did this fir- relationship first begin? It seems what what you said and what Morikawa said, said, you're building something special, as I said earlier. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, a good partnership in the business world really is a lot like dating. You know, you start with these preliminary discussions to see is there that initial attraction, is there common ground between the two? And that was four years ago, maybe at this point, four or five years ago. And the team went to Japan, the Honeywell team, uh, and we met face to face, you know, kind of the next step of that relationship. We signed an MOU about a year into, you know, that first engagement. And that allowed us to really start to have deeper conversations. And what we did at that point was we went to customers together and we started to do VOC or, you know, voice of customer to get that feedback from the market to really identify we believe we have something here, but do the customers see value in it? So we had an MOU in place for 12 to 18 months. And then that really gave us the proof points that there was something between the two of us, not just that we could work together, but that the customers were going to see value in what we were doing. And uh, in January of last year, we memorialized a long-term strategic alliance agreement, as Morikawa-san mentioned. So We've really been together now for several years and then went public with that long-term agreement just last year. But, you know, it kind of evolved over time. And I think, you know, that allowed us to have a great foundation and then grow into what we are and what we hope to become uh, over the coming years. Morikawa-san, once the relationship was established, why was this decision made to focus on electric propulsion systems for urban air mobility instead of regional aircraft? We decided to focus on the, this urban air mobility because we thought that can be the game changer for the mobility area. Then, and also, the, this is the only chance to get a high volume for the airspace. That area then can contribute to the high volume production to this area. But we, we didn't uh, only for this area. So, of course, Honeywell Denso's relationship is including uh, uh, regional aircraft or the everything for the electric propulsion unit. That, but uh, for few years, near future, we would like to focus on the urban air mobility areas. That is, uh, we, mostly we can contribute to, to that area, we thought. You're, you're spot on correct about game changing. We're seeing announcements with urban air mobility companies or cutting deals with major international airlines to take passengers to and from the airports. The focus on high volume, was that building on Denso's skill set of high volume for automotive saying we, we do this for automotive, we can also do this for the aerospace industry? Yeah, I think so. So kind of we, we call the math, right? Mobility as a service. That is uh, uh, also from commercial aircraft to the until to the uh, light share was, uh, or skateboard. So then so want to cover the everything basically. Uh, but we started from the uh, kind of automotive and the motorcycle and the skater bike, but we needed to expand the area to the 2D to 3D kind of aerospace area. And the first step is to enter the urban air mobility area. That is our kind of uh, direction. As I said earlier, the urban air mobility market, it's growing. It's projected to continue to grow. When do you expect the electric propulsion systems to begin shipping to your customers? Yeah, this is a, a real thing. It's happening now, as you're saying. You know, I think 
one great example, we have a publicly announced award. So I can talk in specifics relative to that customer. So in May of this year, you know, the Honeywell Denso Alliance signed an agreement to provide the motors for the Lilium jet, uh, which will have 30 motors per aircraft. And Lilium has a published schedule, right? They're planning to achieve certification in 2025. So in support of that timeline, uh, our alliance has actually already developed test hardware and will be developing production grade black label hardware in order to support their entry into service needs. So this is evolving and happening as we speak with one of our key customers there. In another vein, so separate from the product that we're delivering for Lilium, our core solution is what we're calling, is a bit different than Lilium. Obviously, as you look at Lilium's vehicle design, quite different than some of the other eVTOL manufacturers, we're developing a, another solution. It's a geared electric propulsion unit, and we have that hardware already assembled and in testing uh, as we speak at our Mexicali facility. So the Denso motors and controllers, the Honeywell gearbox, we've pulled that together and we're in ground testing and we're in active discussions with several customers as we speak to have that flight worthy hardware in their hands by next year. So as you said, it's all coming together quite quickly. It's real. It is. You've got product. It's it's very, very real. It's not a press release. Well, well done. Yeah. Touching and feeling uh, really changes the game, right? It's no longer paper designs. Especially when you, you bring a customer down there to, to see it, it's real and it leads to sales, which the Honeywell Corporation, the Denso Corporation, really like. Morikawa-san, what advantages does Denso bring with it to the aerospace industry? Yeah, the, well, as I mentioned, that is Denso's expertise is quality with high volume. That is, we can contribute to the aerospace area. And also, we, for, we call the case. Uh, in automotive, uh, connected uh, autonomous and shared and electrification. And uh, most of that technology came from aerospace, like uh, autonomous is a very early uh, adopted by the aerospace area. But only electrification is, uh, came from uh, automotive. We, we started uh, earlier than the aerospace. And uh, then so is a uh, a uh, key player for electrification in automotive area. We had to uh, make a Prius with Toyota Motor Corporation and we are making for the other uh, customers as well. And we are number one share in the automotive area for the motor controller. Then we can contribute to the electrification of the aerospace. That we have uh, many, many know-how and uh, experience for the high voltage uh, propulsion unit. Then that can be bring to the aerospace carbon neutrality. That is our motivation. There's two trends there: the growth towards electrification, not just in automotive and aerospace. It's going across the board. You're seeing it in lawnmowers now are getting electrified. Anything that was running on f traditional fuels now getting electrified. And then there's the other movement with COP27 coming up: the global movement towards a carbon-free, reducing our carbon emissions. Taylor, what are the environmental benefits of an electric propulsion system? Yeah, and the benefits, you know, you hit on two of the pillars, right? One is simply meeting the regulation that's going to be set out for us. And, you know, that's imperative to, 
to play within that framework. So uh, electric propulsion gives you the ability to hit those mandates. You're able to do that because electric and hybrid electric propulsion systems are really the technology that, that's forming the basis of this advanced air mobility market. It creates a more efficient, a safer, and a more sustainable method of flight. You see, uh, electric machines and electric motors more specifically, as their name implies, run on electricity. So that can come from a number of sources, but most often in what we're seeing in the advanced air mobility market today is from batteries. But you know, you can also get that electricity from fuel cells or turbo generators. All of those, and more specifically, utilized in an all-electric aircraft, have zero operational emissions. Right? So you're not burning fossil fuels, batteries are rechargeable. You know, certainly there's questions about the full value chain or the full supply chain of a battery from you know, the raw minerals out of the earth to recycling. But if you just take a snapshot of the operational aspects of these all-electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, batteries have no emissions. So that allows you to hit those regulatory mandates, which are quickly coming, as you mentioned. So from an environmental point of view, being all-electric is 100% more sustainable than burning fossil fuels. And I want to point out Honeywell has a division Novar that does energy management. So you're probably learning a lot of expertise from your energy management division because you're going to have to manage the loads of the grid. And Morikawa-san, the other aspect to that is infrastructure. What infrastructure is going to have to be built out to enable this electric future for urban air mobility to become a reality? Yeah, that, that is a kind of enabler to achieve the urban air mobility area. So we need to have a batch board, kind, kind of a, such an e-vital landing point everywhere. Ma, ma, mostly is, of course, airport and the downtown area. And that requires some quick charging stations uh, and to consider the, uh, how people come with conveniently. That is a challenging point as well, uh, especially for the urban air mobility area. And uh, that area also we can contribute to something like a, a quick charger or something. That is a uh, now we are investigating. And also that is a uh, we need to change some standard. Sometimes uh, uh, although helicopter landing point is uh, not enough because of a not charging station and uh, not enough area sometimes. Does weight play a role in that if you're going to land on a traditional helicopter area? Is there a standard when it comes to the weight where the weight, it has to hold X amount of weight where the EVTOL will land? Yes. Well, basically, the, so all of, most of uh, EVTOL OEM is developing like a, we can use a, a old helicopter port as much as possible, of course. Because if you can reuse the infrastructure, then it goes to scalability, which Denso is world-renowned for it, and so is, is Honeywell. Taylor, is the move into electric propulsion systems a natural extension of Honeywell's 100-plus years history in aerospace? Yeah, absolutely, right? You know, Honeywell has done propulsion for over 70 years, you know, in the commercial and the military market, as far back as our turbofan engines you know, now or our turboprop engines, our turbofan, our turboshafts, you know, we have decades of experience doing that. And we do use motors for non-propulsive applications today. 
So this is a natural extension of those two technologies. But with Denso, you know, we're able to take that to an entirely new level with their technical expertise as well as their production capabilities. And from you know, Honeywell's point of view, the way that we see ourselves and specifically our UAS, UAM division is we're helping to create this market. So we need to have a portfolio of solutions that's beyond point products, but allows us to really be a key partner to these OEMs. So as this complements our portfolio as a partner of choice, you know, we have avionics offerings through Anthem and radar and sensor solutions. We have our compact fly-by-wire, we have thermal management and actuation, but you really bring all of that together when you can support propulsion needs as well. And the Alliance is completely an enabler in that space. Morikawa son, let's get technical for a moment here. What are the advantages of an electric motor as compared to a traditional motor? I think well, big two things we can bring. One is the safety. So electric motor can bring some distributed propulsion. Like uh, uh, for lithium, for lithium, they have uh, 30 motors. That is, uh, can bring the much safer because one or two failure not uh, bring to the uh, severe uh, incident. That is uh, one uh, merit for the uh, electric motor. Second is, uh, of course, uh, for environmental carbon neutrality point of view. That is, uh, it depends on the source. If we can charge from free uh, green energy, then carbon emission becomes zero. And the additional benefit is that we can uh, eliminate, uh, reduce the uh, operational cost. Our calculation result shows that almost one-third we can reduce the operational cost. That can bring the value to the uh, end passenger, uh, can much less cost to uh, transport from A to B. Does the one-third savings cost, does that come from fuels, operations? I'm assuming there's a lot less maintenance on this aircraft versus a traditional aircraft? Yes, uh, correct, yeah. You're operating it, let's just say, more efficiently. What type of range will will the motors be able to achieve when they're used by your partner, which Taylor publicly said was Lilium, for example? Well, lithium, I think target is uh, 300 kilometer, uh, the starting point. But uh, that, of course, it depends on the energy source. So they are considering a pure electric, that is only battery. But uh, if we can put uh, some uh, generator ma, uh, for fuel cell, for example, fuel cell generator or uh, other, ma, of course, uh, gas turbine engine generator, uh, that can expand the range. So uh, for electric motor point of view, we don't care the source, but uh, basically most of OEM is uh, focusing on the pure electric. And we are waiting a uh, battery uh, improvement. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's really well said, right? Our electric motors don't determine the range specifically of the vehicle. It's what is the battery energy density allow but we do have a lever to pull in that every gram of weight on a vehicle is critical and allows that vehicle to go further. So by designing the lightest, best-in-class electric propulsion units, 
that lowers the overall weight of the vehicle, enabling it to go farther. So we're doing our part within the propulsion system to allow these uh, eVTOLs to reach their range targets based on the current battery technology. But as Morikawa said, battery technology will improve, enabling additional range. As you co-develop the motors together, are they platform agnostics? So Lilium has one design, let's say Acme eVTOL has another design. Can your motors go across a variety of platforms or if you want to use a technical term, aircraft? Yeah, they can. And I, I kind of mentioned the two paths. We have a design and a solution for Lilium. As we've said publicly, you know, it, each of these uh, motors can provide over 100 kilowatts of electric power in under four grams from a packaging point of view. That's very unique to Lilium's design. We see other customers that have six, eight, 12 EPUs per vehicle instead of the 30 motors that Lilium has. And that's that second path I talked about. Our core is the term that we're using internally, and that is scalable. So we believe that can hit a very large portion of the market with only an integration application delta between the customers. So that core certainly to your point would be reusable in many uh, different customer applications. Morikawa-san, the one common denominator across all of the partners and potential partners in the space is noise. They're looking to fly in urban environments and they don't want the individuals down there to hear the noise. Does that become the defining factor, in your opinion, the future of aviation is, is lower noise, higher convenience? Yes. Uh, for compared with the old gas turbine engine, the motor noise is quite uh, small. So and, uh, most of the noise issue is uh, from uh, propeller. Then we, we are considering with some OEM and uh, we are investigating in, in inside of them, so is uh, how to reduce the total noise. And uh, might be the lower speed is much lower noise, but uh, that requires a much huge, uh, big size of propeller. So might be that is a trade-off. And uh, not only noise, but also that uh, weight and uh, reliability of uh, everything we need to consider to design the motor and the controller. So and uh, then the Honeywell is a kind of a, uh, basically, daily basis, we are discussing uh, such kind of trade-off. So how to make a uh, uh, good, uh, scalable product family to fit to the eVTOL. Well, as Taylor mentioned, we would like to consider the, to fit the one technical design to the more many customers. Well, we are saying a core and customize, and the core should be the one. But we should uh, have uh, some scalability to the fit to the uh, every customer. That's a kind of uh, discussion and developing together with Honeywell. That is our goal. Taylor, Morikawa-san laid out several trends there. Do you see the trends that he laid out having an impact on the aerospace industry as a whole, where we're going to look for lower noise, lighter components? Will this technology eventually transfer to the larger aerospace industry as a whole? There will certainly be elements of that, um, and I think as we already see architectures, you know, what we call more electric aircraft architectures, right, that are happening in the commercial world, you know, the, the narrow body, the wide body. So you see more electric architectures, you're going to see hybrid electric architectures, 
there is going to be a place for all electric uh, as battery technology continues to improve up to a certain class of vehicle, probably regional aircraft. You know, at some point, you're never going to be able to fly across the ocean, you know, on an all-electric A380. That, that's not going to happen because of the weight. But there are elements, you know, little technology building blocks that, whether it's high voltage, whether it's the use of distributed electric propulsion using, you know, turbo generators as that source, there are pieces that will work their way across uh, many different applications in the aerospace market. We've had several conversations over the last couple of years on this podcast about regional aircraft getting electrified, and that trend just continues going the short routes, uh, 200 nautical miles, 100 nautical miles connecting, say, Boston to Nantucket. We've had a lot of those conversations, and I was doing some, some research on the different types of aircraft preparing for this conversation, Taylor. I found out there's 215 types of electric-powered aircraft. That's a, that's a lot of types of aircraft. Today, most listeners, they know Boeing and they know Airbus because you know, that's where they they fly. When, in your opinion, does consolidation come to this this market and we get down to, a, let's say, a few leaders that customers know? Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised you only found 215. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, you know, I've seen numbers of 300 and 400, but to your point, you know, I think we, we have reached an inflection where over the past handful of years, there, were, there was a lot of design diversity, a lot of you know startups that believe themselves to be capable of mass producing vehicles you know over a 10 year time horizon there was a lot more opportunity for funding over the past 24 36 months and i think that enabled that 215 or 300 and 400 startups to be able to have half a million a million dollars of funding uh, and throw their name in the ring but i think to my point you know the inflection Point is starting to hit now. And, you know, part of the tightening in the capital market is challenging those who don't have the deep pockets today. And I think that's a good thing, though. You know, we recently saw in the past couple of weeks, Kitty Hawk, a very well-known eVTOL, is winding down. But there's an important piece of consolidating the talent as well as the capital. And if the markets continue to lead to a recessionary environment, it's going to be harder to fundraise. So we also know the window for companies to go public, you know, via blank checks back companies, that's closed at least for now. So while there are, you know, those still probably several hundred fringe companies, I expect that consolidation to continue to ramp up in the coming months. And those companies that are strongly positioned, you know, regardless of some of those external forces, will continue to do well and push the market forward. But they'll be able to then rely on the talent that comes from this uh, consolidation. Consolidation's healthy. The market's healthy. It's doing what it's supposed to do. You're right about the the capital markets. The the Fed interest rate goes over five percent. It's going to be very hard for these companies to raise money. They're not going to be able to service their debt payments. I'll give you an example. When Elon, if he does buy Twitter, the debt payment alone every year is 1.8 billion US. That's a lot of debt payment. And if you could just imagine that for a startup that doesn't have the cash flow, the resources that Elon, you have a lot of consolidation coming to that market. Morik Hawassan, what are your thoughts on how this market is looking to evolve? Yeah, well, might be hundreds of OEM is uh, now developing and considering to enter this world. 
but that is a similar for automotive area. So become the pure electric vehicle. So many startup start to develop. But I think for under other is a perspective is from engineering point of view, one customer is only one propeller, one motor, but others, for example, thirty propeller. Which number is the most appropriate? That will be the Decided by the kind of engineering or physics, might be the shrink soon. My perspective, personal perspective, is will be ten or fifteen years. Might be shrink into the ten or twenty maximum. OEM can survive. Then, what we need to do is to, ma, pick the potential winner. Uh, and uh, to make a collaboration with such a kind of warrior that we need to do that. Taylor, we, we talked about the markets, but from a technical standpoint, how do you see the electric-powered aircraft evolving? Yeah, I think you see today the beginning of that evolution. To Morikawa-san's point, the design is important. You know, it's very easy when you think about the automotive industry. You look at a vehicle; it's a car, it's a truck. You look at the landscape of eVTOLs today, or you know, if we expand to the overall advanced air mobility market, the conventional takeoff and landing, the short takeoff and landing, including the vertical takeoff and landing. There's a lot of diversity and design in those vehicles. So you're going to see certain designs kind of rise to the top, and I think. There will be less design diversity and more understanding of what design is required for specific missions. So I think that's a technical change you're going to see. But and from that, you know, related to what we're doing in EPUs, that will really drive you know how many EPUs per vehicle, how many rotors per vehicle. So really, the technology technological changes are going to come in refining designs. You know that are being evaluated today. And we're going to improve on the electric propulsion side from a power density point of view. How do you pack more power into a smaller packaging? So a lighter solution that can give you more bang for your buck. So as we continue to advance in that space, it's going to go hand in hand with vehicle design. So that really is going to take us, you know, today the technologies that will help support the launch into the sustaining piece of what this market's going to look like over time. Morikawa, son, rotor per vehicle, that's very interesting. Is there a standard, an FAA standard, a global aviation standard, where there has to be a certain minimum number to meet the redundancy? Yeah, that is uh, now discussing deeply with FAA or several customers, several suppliers together at the basic remainder at the SAE committee. Ma standardization is one of the challenges to this area. So that electrification is not standardized for the aerospace area yet. So and we are bringing from automotive standard to the aerospace area first, and which area we need to change to fit to the aerospace. That kind of discussion also ongoing very quickly. And、uh, that is a collaboration area, but、uh, my automotive player is、uh, still very limited. Ma, so that's why the most of customer or if we ask them, so hey, then so you should make a standard first. And,、uh, let's discuss. That is、uh, happening right now. Well, you're having the discussions for, for standards, which will enable the entire industry to scale. 
Are are you and your partner Honeywell in the industry as general having discussions on how to develop public trust when an individual is going to go into the into the vehicle and go there? Are you having those discussions as an industry what you can do to develop that trust because it'll allow you to sell more motors? Of course, we are discussing with uh, some public kind of service or uh, FA or SA or many many uh, kind of uh, relationships, uh, but uh, that is a uh, Final challenges. Do we need to do that? But uh, still not yet. I think that uh, is a uh, obstacle to achieve this uh, market. Yeah, and I'll add, we had a really interesting discussion. So Honeywell hosted an advanced air mobility summit uh, in Washington D.C. two weeks ago, and Denso, you know, obviously our partner was a part of that. But our intent was really to bring together the public and private sector. And we had several regulators, FAA senators, and representatives join us. And Congressman Graves made a really great point. He said, you know, he kind of led up to your question of, you know, how do we get the public behind this? And he looked at everybody in the room and he said, your job is to fill the void. And in terms of the unknown related to the messaging around this space, we feel close to it, you know. Those of us on the podcast today, it's comfortable because we talk about it every day. But the general public, they think, you know, Jetsons and they think airplanes, and you know, they have these anchor points which aren't exactly what this future is going to look like. So we need to ensure that we fill the messaging void with what that proper communication is around safety, around environmental, around noise. Because if we don't, that void will be filled, and it may not be correct information. So he really pushed all of us to ensure that we're messaging properly to how this market is going to evolve. We have to properly set expectations. Morikawa Sun says a lot during this podcast is that we have to learn from the automotive side, and the automotive side has to learn from aerospace. And on the autonomy side, there was a lot of promises and missed deadlines. I give the aerospace. You're not. You're not doing that. You're saying we're going to develop a product and we're going to deploy it when it's safe. And since you mentioned George Jetson, I've got to, got to give him a shout out. He was born in 2022. So George Jetson is, is a baby. <laughs> we're not going to have Jetsons in, in our lifetime, but perhaps in 100 years or 200 years, we will. What we will have in our lifetime is urban air mobility with individuals around the globe using it to go short distances. Taylor, how do you see the public first engaging with urban air mobility? It's going to be a crawl to a walk to a run. So we're going to have an evolution with how urban air mobility comes to market. And it will start in select cities, you know, with the first to market OEMs for specific individuals with specific missions, right? We will more than likely see point to point operations being the starting point. And then it will rapidly expand. There was a McKinsey study that said uh, 14% of the business aviation market could utilize advanced air mobility vehicles on day one. So there's absolutely the use case for them. It's a matter of safely rolling out the vehicles, being able to produce the number that meets the demand for the early adopters. And then you have that wave of greater public usage 
you're going to have autonomy play a part over time, which is going to reduce the seat mile cost. So it, it's going to be that wave that grows to a crest to really meet the broader public need for transportation. But it's going to start with that crawling step before you get to a full on run. It's learning to surf, starting on the baby waves before you, you work your way up to the six footers. Morikawa son, in your opinion, sir, what is the future of aviation? So for Wright Brothers flight at uh, 1903, and uh, Ford uh, Model T started in 1908, kind of uh, almost 100 years. Now it's uh, too much aerospace and uh, automotive industry can make uh, much uh, advanced mobility, we call the urban mobility. But uh, so back to the future too, is, uh, that is uh, so many flying cars. That was 2015, honestly. So we are behind. We need to hurry up to make a, a, such a, a advanced mobility area. So that is a, a, might be next 100 years we can fly. But uh, after the uh, 50 years or 100 years, I'm not sure we need to make a, some fly, uh, space car. Right, to go to Mars or something that we need to collaborate further step with Honeywell. We have to keep innovating is the common denominator there. Taylor, what are your thoughts, sir? Yeah, I think our vision is pretty simply stated. For people moving, it's a 100-mile door-to-door journey in 45 minutes or less, You know, regardless of where you are, regardless of what traffic looks like because you're, you're traveling through the air. And the alternative or the other piece of that vision is same day cargo delivery anywhere in the populated world. So you take those two tenets of what the vision is and you can think about how that changes the way people are going to work, how they're going to live, because it's moving cargo and moving people at radically different pace than what we're used to. It's a more sustainable, more efficient, you know, quieter, safer world. It changes economies. It, it completely changes economies, and it's healthy. Taylor, as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them? If we circle back to how we started, this is real, right? I get out of bed every morning excited to be a Honeywell future shaper, and that's not just a throwaway term. You know What we're doing at Honeywell and what we're doing with Denso in our alliance is changing the future of transportation. It's not just aerospace. And we're doing it in a way that's helping the planet by decarbonizing. We're helping people's lives by cutting down the amount of time they sit in traffic, allowing for more efficient travel. And to me, it it goes back to my purpose. I have two young daughters and I can't wait to see what world we're going to leave them. At times, you know, it's worrisome. You look at the news and you know, people are concerned about my definition of sustainability is leaving the planet in a better place than we inherited it. And what we're doing through our alliance is making meaningful, significant, positive change. And that's incredible. And I want people to know that it's real and it's coming and it's going to revolutionize the travel experience. And I'd say lastly at Honeywell, you know, we've pledged to be carbon neutral in our facilities and our operations, and Denso's done something similar, uh, by 2035. You know, and we continue to investigate and evaluate carbon emissions up and down our supply chain. 
So we're doing this within our four walls, but the impact is going to be global. So to me, I'm just really excited about you know what we're doing to transform the future. The impact's gonna be positive. Morikawa-san, what would you like our listeners to take away with them today? Yes. So Denso decided to only work for the two great causes. One is uh, uh, green, that is uh, to achieve the carbon neutral society. Second is a peace of mind. So we just work for the, these two great causes. Then one of the big uh, items to achieve the uh, both is uh, this urban air mobility uh, that is, uh, can change the uh, game changer for the uh, mobility area. Uh, and that is, uh, can solve the, uh, not only the carbon neutrality and uh, uh, peace of mind, but also the, some popularization of the uh, mega city. Uh, we can expand the living area to the much broader, like uh, 300 miles or something. We can fly very easily to go to the office. That kind of a new world can bring the huge benefit to the people. That is a kind of a, our goal to achieve that. Might be we need to take a much longer time, a little bit longer time, but uh, then so to like to contribute to that such a kind of future society as much as possible. What we've heard on today's podcast is that Honeywell and Denso are creating the future of transportation because today is tomorrow, tomorrow is today, and the future is the Honeywell Denso Alliance. Taylor Morikawa-san, thank you so much for coming on SAE tomorrow today. Thank you. Thank you, Morikawa-san. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Taylor. So let's talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to SAE tomorrow today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to join us next week as we welcome Adam Tacey, Senior Manager of Marketability and Testing at Nissan US. Adam will talk about the all-new Nissan Aria electric crossover and its integrated design, which simplifies the in-vehicle experience for consumers. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.